0: Welcome to EnVision, the podcast to travel to new terrain into the world of possibilities, where conversations with visionaries, their experience and their imagination take place. We explore ideas and desires to widen individual vision and expand the collective together. Let's imagine a new world and speak it aloud, letting that vision become our inspiration to create it. If you are here, you believe in the power of transformation. I am Aurora Morfin, and I am so grateful that you are here. Welcome, Yaël. Thank you for being here today. Let me introduce you. Today, I'm here with Yaël Merkuliev, and she was born and raised on a kibbutz in Israel. Now she lives in Alaska with her two daughters and her spouse Kuyaah Ilarion Merculev, who she met through his TED Talk, where when she was a TED volunteer translator. Yael has worked as an alternative educator in Israel and has volunteered with underprivileged children in Israel, China, Tanzania, and Kenya. She is a nurturer and assistant for Wisdom Weavers and the Global Center for Indigenous Leadership and Lifeways, projects that her spouse ignited. Yael also facilitates women's circles inspired by native elders that she made through her work. She is a nurturer. Welcome, Yael.
1: Thank you, Aurora. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's start. Tell me a little bit about how was the world like
0: from your child's perspective? And for those who don't know, can you explain what a
1: kibbutz is? Mm. So, uh, I was born and raised on a kibbutz in Israel. A kibbutz is like a village, but it has a very um, strong communal sense where everybody's having meals together. Um, The children are all raised, according to the age, in their age group children's home. So they sleep there, they learn there, they eat there. And in the afternoon, we would go home to the parents' home, to our parents' home, to spend about four or five hours with them. And then they would bring us back to sleep in the children's home. I personally escaped from there when I was two years old. So I was brought to, to sleep with my parents ahead of my time because my peers um, the whole kibbutz went into sleeping with parents they they understood it might be more healthy for most kids so uh, that happened when my peers were six years old so before years yeah four years before that I started my own thing <laughs> um, but it's very green relatively and now I'm in Alaska so Alaska is much greener but you know for a dense place like Israel it's very green a lot of uh, green grass no fences between the houses we would run around from house to house from place to place lots of trees and bushes that you can pick um, fruit from and yeah so the trees kind of belong to everybody they were more the people who lived by that tree would um, water it, nurture it, and feel like it's more theirs, but we would be uh, very much free to roam around and pick fruit as kids. And of course, know that the tree, the fruit comes from the tree and not the supermarket, which we didn't know what it was until we got out to cities, yeah. And it's all about everybody working as hard as they possibly can to give as much as they can and only get what they need. It's like a communal system where the abundance is belonging to everybody and then divided um, in some form of equity, I would say, because some people have bigger needs than others, of course.
0: Mm -hmm. And like living and growing in that
1: condition, how was your world like? How was your child's perspective? Did you perceive all that or well as as a young child, it's very freeing, it's very liberating. also, we had a stable with horses that again, we all shared. There was a person responsible for the stable, but you would just go, "I want to go riding this afternoon," and you would he would set up the horse for you and and make sure the horses are healthy um we had cows we had um We had um, a little zoo with domestic animals for for children to hang out and we had chickens. So it was very much living with nature, which I, you know, I just thought this was the world. Like when you're a a young child, you don't know that there's anything else. And we were walking barefoot, which basically came, a lot of the ideas came from our grandmothers and grandfathers coming during the 1920s. Um, before there was a state of Israel to to start establishing that and with the ideas of a kibbutz. And they had no money. Like the children's home basically was formed because babies were dying, because most of them were from um, European countries and they came to this desert land full of malaria and they had no elders with them, they escaped as young people and started having babies. And so babies started dying. And so what they did was they understood they need some knowledge that they don't have. So they sent one lady from each kibbutz to study about babies. And then there would be one lady in each kibbutz that knew a little bit better how to help babies survive. So they made a, a home. In my kibbutz, everybody was living in tents at first. And the first house they had was for the babies to help them survive. And so that one woman would be there. And so all the babies would be brought there. But I'm the surgeon like my parents grew up as these babies and then I grew up as still that with that concept because it became their ideology. The same with barefoot. They didn't have basically just had no money for shoes. And then they started owning it. They were like, we want this. We're doing this on purpose, you know, and then for my generation, we had shoes and sandals. <laughs> But we like walking barefoot, like I walk barefoot to this day, even sometimes in Alaska.
0: Beautiful, yes. And how does your worldview has changed so far from there?
1: Well, I. that's a long story. How do I make it short? Um, It's a very a, a beautiful idea, I think. Uh, and also the fact that we didn't have our own possessions or um you know, you clothes, when you grow out of your clothes, you bring them to the big warehouse of clothes and someone else takes your old clothes and your takes someone else's old clothes. And um, the whole sense of possession or money was strange. And it's very beautiful, but then it's very fragile. And if everybody's giving as as much as they can, who's to say how much is, uh, however much you can, you know? So some people would give as much, as they possibly can and be workaholics even, which is not a healthy thing. Um, And some people would try and get away with as much as they can, because if you're getting the same budget eventually, so why work harder and then have less energy to do the stuff you want to be doing? So it was like I could see the cracks in it. Also, one thing that I think is worth mentioning is also um we were a very close society because uh, a kibbutz is is like a village it's it's more remote than other places so in the kids society your friends from school are your friends from the extracurriculum activities are your friends from the neighborhood are like so this is what you have now if you have a label on you and you do especially in a kibbutz so they know your parents and they know your grandparents and oh you're from the Zeligman family. So you're probably this and this and that. Mm -hmm. And so even before you were born you already you already carry this label. And then you know if that label is not a good one, then you're not only banned in school, but you're banned in the extracurriculum and in the neighborhood and all over. So This is something that was kind of like what happens today on social media to kids, where it's not just your classmates that are nasty to you, but they can take it and and make the world view you that way. That was kind of, we were like, oh, welcome to kibbutz life. This is how it is, Um, for better or worse. Like, sometimes it would be, oh, Zeligman family, they're very good. Or sometimes it would be, oh, Zeligman family, yeah, we know you, you know. but people would have opinions about you. And um, and femininity as I knew it from a lot of the girls that I've met there. And then in high school, we open up to more kibbutzits, but it's still kind of relatively the same mentality. It was uh, the girls that claimed their femininity actually used it against others. So I was like, I don't like that. So I don't, think I'm feminine and I didn't you know I was I was embarrassed about this whole physical changes and becoming a woman and I mean I wasn't one of these you know hot looking girls I was always kind of like androgyny looking creature (laughs) and so I didn't know what to do with this sudden femininity and then I saw people claiming it in in a bad way where it's like to get men or to get things from men or to use their girlfriends to get things from men or to put another girlfriend down so they they will be you know a, a more desirable woman or and I was like wow no it's not my language so I said all right then I think I'm not feminine but I'm just a human creature with feminine organs just randomly just like i'm a human creature with with brown hair and brown skin that's the you know the cards i got this this done but then i gave birth Mm. and uh actually when i found out my fetus was a girl i went to one of my rare friends and i said You don't know. I have a girl in me. I don't know what to do with girls. Like, don't get along with girls. And she said, Yaeli, you know, I got to tell you, you and I, were also girls. And I was like, oh, okay. So you don't think I'll have a, that kind of girl? She was like, she's going to come out of you. What do you think she's going (laughs) to be? But then when I gave birth, it was so, it was so, Um, birth is never, I think, to be expected, or what you expect it to be, and everybody was talking about the pain, and the fear, and the near-death experience, and it's all true, but there was so much joy, I was just like, okay, this is such pain, I went without painkillers, like I said, let's give it a try, and see what happens, like, I didn't know, and once the, pain came it was so immense i figured well if it's gonna take me it will take me like there's nothing i can do just like when i bungee jump you're like what if what if the string doesn't work well if it doesn't work it doesn't work we may die but this feels like flying so let's open the eyes and see what's happening which is what i did also with the pain i was like all right this is first of all it was a friend it was like when it started you know it started gradually with this contractions and I was like this is like pain pain period pain like I know I know you you know sorry you're going into this totally unknown realm because I've never given birth before yeah I was never pregnant before and all of a sudden during birth when everybody's telling you this is like nothing you've ever all of a sudden you have a friend someone I recognize the pain oh I know you okay I can I can take quite a lot of you because my period pains were pretty are pretty intense. And so I was like, okay, let me breathe. Let let me see where this takes us. And then it became, you know, like this crescendo of like (laughs) pain, of growing and growing. And then I was like, wow, this could be life and death. And then I was like, wow, this is like bungee. Yeah, this could be life and death. Let's see what happens. I've never been here. And it became like a trip. Like so many emotions just came. And You know, I I just knew, I knew what I needed at every moment. I was so present. I was like a beast. I was like so one with nature. I had no questions in my mind. I wasn't human. I wasn't into, oh, this person is here for me. And I did yell at them at some point. I have food in my bag, go eat people. I made food. And they're like, woman, give birth. What are you talking about? You know, my um, spouse then and um my friend who was with me the one i was telling you about she was with me at birth as well and they were just like what what are you talking about and i'm like yes go eat we've been here for hours and yeah so it was funny and it was joyful and it was magical and then at the end of it an other self came out of me so you know I, i had proof to what i've been Kind of suspecting my whole life that that we're all connected and we are all our other selves, and but everybody, not everybody, but most people were telling me, you know, this is fairy tales, and you gotta you gotta protect your own, and and you know, if you don't take what's what's meant to be yours, no one's gonna give it to you, and no one's gonna look out for you. You gotta, you know, very much sperm mentality, right? Uh, if I don't get it then you'll get it. And if you'll get it, then I will die because what, So such limited resources and all that concept. But the feminine has a totally different perspective, which I always suspected, but suddenly I knew I had a, in in Hebrew, yediah, annoying is, is a physical thing. And I had that because I, I was holding a child. I was holding my other self. She was myself a second ago now she's her other self and i have two proofs like that that came out of me so you know i know this to be true and then it just expanded to the way i perceive life all of a sudden my perception of life was legit it was true and then i saw a man in a video from the other side of the world saying that and i was like okay i gotta gotta translate this guy which i'm now married to (laughs) (laughs)
0: we'll go there after but I want to touch upon a few things that you mentioned that somehow after giving birth and this awakening of your knowing and validation of your knowing you somehow had it before what happened with you before that you couldn't explain it or say it or how or why did you felt, or what did you did when you felt that all that was dismissed?
1: I withered <laughs> um I think our society if you look at us you know um life is very short and the resources are limited and you have to go get and and you see all the time twin possibilities die at every moment even now you know Other words are in my mind asking to be said, but I have to choose one. We have to choose one and everything else dies, 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 dies. While we try and get to our goals that we set and we got to push ourselves. And this is so much a sperm consciousness, but this is so much how the Western world, including the world I was living in, operates. And so I was told when I was expressing my ideas of let's help each other and your good is my good and I I mean one of the caregivers in the children's home um, when I was a bit older told my mom you know she's too good you you have a problem with your child she's too good for her own good and you gotta make her bad (laughs) because not only tough but but like because when they would give me a job in the children's home to, to give everybody, I remember to give everybody a cake. So I would make sure everybody would get a cake before I did. And then eventually there would be no cake left and I'd be left with the crumbs. And this happened again and again. She was like, yeah, Ellie, you have to, you know, you have to take yours first or make sure you get it. And I was like, but then someone else will miss it. And she says, you got to stick to your thing and you know and some kids would hide their piece and uh, ask for another and there would be such a mess that sometimes people would come up with two pieces and I, I would have none and she was like your heart is too big but you know this is not like having a too big a ear that everyone can see so try and hide it either fix it or hide it and you know I I couldn't so I felt I failed and I was taken advantage of and all kinds of things. So I was busy hiding my too big a heart most of my life. And now I'm like walking around with it. That's it, people.
0: Yeah, I'm getting chills. I'm very emotional, you know, in the sense that the people that we are like heart-centered it's like, we have to pull it down all the time because it was like, you're too sensitive, you're too much, you're too this, too that. And it's just hard to just try to keep that feeling because it's it's painful also inside to see. Or at least for me, it was like really painful to see how people treat to each other sometimes. And and it's hard to understand how as humans we can go there. So what I'm hearing, I just like want to ask you about like how were you thought or how did you learn to really embrace that? I mean, I'm hearing, of course, a lot came from your motherhood and giving birth, but how did you learn to embrace that, believing yourself and really stand for who
1: you are? What a beautiful question and what a beautiful reflection. Like I feel so understood and heard. So I'm like, I know you to be my other self in a, in a very close sense. And I'm thankful, and I'm grateful. So, I was always warned about my big heart, you know, that it's dangerous, basically. It was dangerous. Um, And um, I was trying to to shrink it, and I couldn't. And I was trying to hide it, and I couldn't. I mean, I, I could, but partially successfully. And when I did succeed, I felt like I'm dying inside. And then I felt, okay, so... You know, if if you're doing something and the whole world, like you're feeling the whole world is wrong, we have a saying in Hebrew, probably the wrong thing is actually not the world, it's you. And so that was, you know, that was the the conclusion, the obvious conclusion was I was wrong for this world, because this world cannot be wrong in so many ways, can it? So I was like, okay, then I, I don't belong then. And so, you know what? Let's just drop it. Let's just drop this thing called life because maybe I'm not cut out for it. So how would I drop it? Let's jump. I when I jumped from the head to the heart, it wasn't to fly, it was to commit suicide. That was basically my intent. I was like, if my heart is that dangerous, but I can't resist it, I'm like addicted to the heart. Let's just go there. I'll just jump there head first and let me, you know let me go with the bang into the heart. And I, I didn't crash yet, (laughs) but that was the thought. I mean, it didn't feel like a choice, like a conscious choice of, of let's do it for the good. No, I was doing it for the bad. I was doing it to get it over with, but in a like fun way. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and then magic started happening and I still resisted it a lot. Like, I went to Africa without money because I wanted to um, work with orphans and widows and I've been working with children and many times children are so beautiful and a lot of times the parents are the challenges so I thought "Mm, I wonder what it's like to work with orphans and I think what I was actually doing there also was learning about parenthood from its absence like when you see the exact thing that is missing that was before i just before i became a mom i didn't realize i was going to be a mom um was another thing that i was like okay i i had to work with children because that's where you're allowed to really be in your heart so and then at some point i was like okay i don't know if i'm ever going to be a mom so i went to africa to uh, work with orphans because I was like, I don't need to have the children from my own body. There are enough children in the world I just need to mother people This is the only thing I I, I know how to do um, so let's spend this too big a heart on kids and so I went there and um, I Was in this in this um, cur- curriculum to study Judaism from different angles also secular people like myself were allowed but then the donors made some changes, and anyways, at the end of the school year, um, without this program. And I was like, okay, maybe I should go to Africa now, but I have no money. So it just happened. Um, I just went into the heart. I was like, this is what I want to do. And it happened. And I found organizations that would help me volunteer there, and I did. And yeah, it was amazing. And yeah magical things happen maybe one day we'll talk about it. it's too long a story it really blew my mind my my um western mind it was the yeah africa is is mind-blowing i think so much wisdom and, and so different than anything we know um but then i went back to israel and i was like okay let's go back to real life like i was kind of trying to shrink myself back to the normality of, of the society that I knew. Yeah. It was like gradual. It was like crack in this shield. Crack, 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 crack. Eventually I hatched.
0: Yes, I hear you there. And when you hatched, as you put it, like what are the beliefs that help you create the world that you live in
1: now? As I said, my hatching happened when I gave birth. It was just like tectonic um plates just moving and you patch. And so I just uh that was it. I I couldn't go back. It's like you can't go into being a non-mom once you become a mom.
0: Yeah.
1: You know. So that was it. I just knew all right, this is this is really me. This becoming one with force of nature. I mean my body that I you know how we as women with the the beauty ideal of why do I have that nose? Why do I have those waist, those, those ankles, this hair? All of a sudden, this body that I always was critical about made magic. It gave life to another human being. I mean, pfft. Yeah. So yeah. I could not but love it. I wasn't going to love it. I didn't intend to fall in love with my own body, but this happened because a miracle came out of it. It was just like, so this is femininity. Like, I was like, wow, I could have gone through a whole life and not ex- not have experienced this, which was, for me, uh, profound. So I was thankful. And I was like, all right, if this is femininity. Like, this is what I want. This is something, like, as soon as I finished the, the first birth, I was like, okay, let's do this again. When can we do it again? You know? <laughs> um how did you make peace from that femininity
0: that you were embodying after giving birth with the rest of, of the pieces, you know? Because before you had this idea of femininity, of like using it as getting stuff uh, or getting connected with someone or, you know, it was just a different perspective. So from this new embodiment of this femininity, which is, I believe, the true one, the real one, how do you connect and make peace with the old ideas you
1: had? I love your questions. Um, as pregnancy taught me, and as the elders that I now work with say, you cannot give to the world that which you do not have. Um, nothing is created outside till it's created inside first. And that was created in me, again, a knowing it's not a notion. Before it was like an idea of maybe a, a perspective. This became a validation as you said and knowing and it became so alive in me i was living it not only inside but it came out it was out there (laughs) my femininity became a valuable thing that i know to be true in the world i was living it i am living it i mean and i get to to speak to you you know i get and we, we get to be heard by by more women that may or girls that may or men or boys that may feel that because we are all one we are all you know if it wasn't for the masculine and the feminine together in unity in one all feminine space which is the womb if this union would not have happened in that feminine space we would not have been here so when we speak that are a truth and that is like I'm telling my truth which is uh, com- composed of a lot of femininity but whoever is listening if you have your own truth about your perception of life or part in the world just say it not only for your sake but for the sake of others that need to hear that sound that music that is in you and only you can bring that sound that fruit that gift to the world And how much more beautiful and richer would the world be if if we would allow ourselves first and then our other selves to be that and do that? And so once I hatched, you know, I just, I think I, I started recognizing it. This femininity reflected in so many ways that I was just blind to because part of my mind and my indoctrination was like, no, this is not true. Don't even look at it. It's just this is deceit, it's an hallucinate. All of a sudden it was like, yes, of course, absolutely. And it grows bigger. And then more women who are looking for that, and men and children are hearing that and, and they're coming to me and so I'm coming to them. And it's this mutual dance that grows bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah.
0: Yes, thank you for that. Yes, I am a big believer that once we start healing and changing our inner world, the exterior automatically changes and transforms as well. So in that regard, tell me, how how do you embody uh, trust on that?
1: Our elders say the most unselfish thing you can do is heal yourself. I work at it. I work at it like sometimes it, it's just there and it's it's alive in me and there's no question and sometimes especially when i meet other self that are not like you but <laughs> are people who are very different people who are offensive people who are you know someone you say uh that's not me and then mm, how are they my other self and um i say my husband's people, the Unangan or Eliots, as they're called by their oppressors, here in Alaska, um, they say Ang which is their welcome greeting, which they say every day. It means, hello, my other self. But I've added my Jewish part into that. And now when I'm meeting someone that I have like, a hard time with or a conflict with, I say in me, Shalom, my other self. Shalom in Hebrew is peace and also hello and also it comes from shalem from making whole making complete and you do shalom you do peace with you you make peace with your enemies not with the ones that are most like you so how do i make peace with that person that i feel you know such tension or such um negative feeling for and i find that in me i find where the humanity that I can recognize in that person also lies in me. Mm. If you want, we can go deeper into that. Please go ahead. Okay. A few months ago in, in my country, in Israel, um, there was a, a gang rape, a very horrible gang rape. And um, it's somehow, I've been working in an assault um, center to help people that have been assaulted. And these stories have been around for I don't know, ages, generations, I think. Somehow this story um, made it through to people's hearts and people that were never, um, were blind to this became aware and shocked and responded and something was right. I, th- I think there's the ripe time for things also. and must have been the ripe time for this to be uh, visible to people how horrific it is. And stories started coming up. And one of the amazing things that happened was that some brave men started taking responsibility for their accountability in the rape culture. And there was uh, a post written by a man that I didn't know, you know, you, your your social media feed brings you things. And so um, I saw it through a friend of a friend of a friend. And this man said, was telling how when he was, um, in the army service uh he got lost when they were uh, navigating in the in the desert he was on his own and he got lost and all of a sudden he saw a light and he went there and it was this big truck with a, a, a dry safe space and some heating it was a stormy rainy night in the desert really cold really muddy and he found these people there And it was um, older soldiers from another unit. And they said, do you want to come in and have coffee with us? And he came in and then they said, there's a woman back there. We're all using, you're welcome to her. And he didn't, but he realized what was going on. Now, this was like uh, several decades ago before mobile phones. And so we couldn't call anybody or, and, so he was he was there, and he was kind of trapped in the situation in which he couldn't stop, and he felt like he was complicit just by just by being there. I went to sleep with this tried to sleep with this story, and and I couldn't the whole night. I was like, "How is he my aunt? like what do I do with this story? How do I find compassion for that person? He is my other self. How is he my other self?" And I found it. I found that when I was a girl in the kibbutz, we had a girl that was, um, we were boycotting her, you know, the boycotts that yeah. children sometimes do. We were doing that, and uh, um, it was in a very cruel cool way. And, and I wasn't like a leader, but I was complicit in, in being silent. Eventually, we broke the silence, but it was eventually, there was a time, a too long a time that that girl was suffering and everybody was uh, mistreating her and laughing at her. And uh, I, was, I was a part of, of that, of that flock, just like that man was a part of the flock that uh, gained from another person's suffering. I mean, why didn't he stand up for her? Because he would have been victimized. Why didn't I stand up for her? Because I would have been victimized, like I did eventually after, uh, it's, it's another story. Um, but yeah, I understood, I, I, I understood where he, where he was coming from. And then I I wrote a post about it. And then once I could see him there and his distress and his two voices, you know, the angel and the devil on his, on his shoulders saying, you know, just fight everybody and and save her. But where would you save her? You're in the middle of the desert. You have no vehicle. Like, what would you do? And then what you're going to end up in a hospital best and, uh, and get beaten up by a bunch of men that are obviously violent. Um, but then I saw, I saw, what if, what if you could then, our elders say, focus on the positive, not on the negative. When you go to that situation, How can you, again, in you, nothing is created outside till it's created inside first. How can you find in yourself an answer to help her, which is what you want? You don't want to fight everybody and make them your enemy. You want to help her. So if you on your turn, like take your turn, go to her, and instead of do what the others do, wrap her in a blanket, help her to get up, and invite her to sit down with everybody and drink coffee. And you know, bringing her back from being an object or a toy to being a human, sitting there with everybody, and you're just standing up for her. And then I say, what happens next? And in my mind, what what happened? And again, this this is my truth. It could be wrong. Um, so then this one guy would be like, no, bring her back, you know. But two other guys were like already seeing her as a person. They're like sitting down the, the bully. And when I wrote that so many people responded with with resonance and and there were some women telling me their stories of being in in a situation like that when their friend the woman friend or um themselves managed to do that to to go beyond and it's usually like this woman was telling me someone was was coming to rape her and she could see the person in him like as he was grabbing her, she, she got a hold of his hair and all of a sudden she thought, that's a beautiful hair. And she kind of picked up the hair and she just, just I mean, she had this thought and she didn't realize she was speaking out, but she did. She said, you know, this doesn't have to be that way for you. You're really a good looking boy. And he just, he was like, what? And she said that and he just ran away he was so I mean she just broke everything he was supposed to be a monster going to use her which he didn't see as a human and he didn't see himself as a human he saw himself as a monstrosity and that was what she was supposed to also see and she was supposed to be just an object not something that talks to you and straight to the heart what and she just did that and it broke him completely out of the situation it's a beautiful answer, thanks for sharing all that.
0: From your perspective and experience, and all the experiences, you know, that I can tell you have gone through, how would a nurtured world would look like?
1: You know, it's, it's uh, it's a, uh, this is something I don't know, because I have not lived it yet. I'm hoping we're going there, um, but I don't know what it would look like. I would want it to be uh, good to everybody, to all of our other selves, including the non-humans, which we now, I mean, even the technology you and I are now using is harming Mother Earth. We're talking and it's doing some good to Mother Earth, but also harming her at the same time. So we're not, we're not there, I don't have answers. Um, But just like the womb, just like my children, um, I would say we need to create the space for that and then let the new, the unknown, the unbelievable rise from there.
0: Mm. Yes. Yes. And I hear this, as you said, because you talk a lot about the womb and how that power, if we would connect, I mean, as you said, I don't know exactly in intangibles how it would look like, but I can feel how it would how be if we all would just really connect with that inherent truth that we carry, right? Yeah, I think
1: it will be more than we can imagine, or like my kids have taught me, children are teaching me every day that it's beyond what we what we ever imagined their their children are miracles not only mine children are miracles and i think and we're all children sometimes we're grown children but we're all children we have that miracle in us and so yeah let's just let's just go back to that or allow that and then who knows maybe we won't even need the technology we could just you know meet without without having to physically or technologically meet
0: yeah i guess we have like tons of deeper inner technology that we are not aware of yet and we haven't explored or haven't given the space to explore fully um but i think there is there is all that 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 could help us in other ways and to do things differently. And I'm a big believer that we are, you know, like changing consciousness and I don't know if we're gonna see this in this lifetime, but but getting there, you know, feeling the magic and just giving the space to feel that magic and believing in it because I don't know, but from what I'm hearing, you know, I guess you you have gone through and is that as you said, as children, we all know that magic and we we come with it. And it's just through all the conditioning and situations, experiences, and everything that we go through that we suppress it or forget about it or lose touch, disconnect. And it's just a matter of really going back to that space. But you talk also a lot about the elders. When you say the elders exactly, you mean in someone in particular in your life or who is, because I know you are related with, you know, to elders organizations,
1: your work uh, is with them. So tell me more about it. Again, I want to thank you for the question. So elders are people who carry ancient knowledge. Usually it comes with also older age. They carry ancient knowledge into, into this time, into the modern times. And when I say knowledge, it's not quite what I, it's not the, the exact right word, because I mean, heart, heart wisdom is more like it, carry ancient heart wisdom into modern times, because it's knowledge, but it's also truth. And it's also a feeling and, and it's also an innocence of a child. That is, that is what I see in my elders and the people I choose to call elders, because our elders are like our favorite aunts and uncles. I can have my own and not necessarily, will you agree with me? You know, it's not like the world's favorite author. It's not, there's no such thing. The world it consists of people and different people have different views, different likings, different, and the elders, great as they are, they're still humans and they have their, their human, you know, foibles, And so, It depends on who you feel um, is is true to you, is like a, a star you could navigate your way according to the light of which star, who are your stars, who are your elders. I work with my husband who some people consider is an elder. I sometimes feel he's an elder and sometimes very different things <laughs> I'm married to him you know i I live next to him um, if I only saw him as an elder and have this awe towards him I, I couldn't be married to him um, but some people consider him an elder, and some people don't just like everybody, all the other elders, but he has connection with a lot of other people um, an elder also needs to be called elder by his community so you can't be very very clever or very very loving but if the people in your closest um, circle don't perceive you as elder then and it's not something that a person can call themselves it's not i'm the world's favorite uncle no someone else has to say you know he's or she's my elder she's my elder too and then the community is regarding you again people will come to you for advice. For your heart wisdom for for and also when they carry that wisdom, it's not just about themselves, it's about something that is beyond them that they inherit from their ancestors they It's hard to explain, but when they speak, it's like I hear the voice of Mother Earth being expressed in words, and it could be many different words I mean one of the things I love most is like watching elders get together because when my kind of elders have no ego and then it's just like toddlers playing in in the sand or something they just they see each other they recognize that and so I I saw once um, elders from different places in the world meet and one would say you know the earth and the sun and the moon it's like a family with man and woman and a child and the other one said yes it's like a man with two wives and they said yes and you're like aren't you going to (laughs) argue no because the essence of what they mean is there and it's clear to them and so words are just covers for real intentions that are so much deeper Mm. in my husband's culture the unangan culture words are perceived as limited and limiting, and many times, most most of the time, superfluous, and even dangerous, because the chances are that the words we're using are going to be beside what we're trying to actually say, which is always scary to say it consciously when I'm speaking with this tool that we have, which is words, but it's very true, I find. And when he said that to me, I said, oh, so you use it like you, like hunters, like you use bullets or arrows or spurs. You use them very kind of mildly and try to get them very accurate and go straight to the heart or the brain and cause as least pain as possible. How often do we do that? I wonder. Mm. I'm
0: just sitting with that because that resonates a lot. I think that all the words sometimes are extremely convoluted, and they can become a landmine to just react again, and it goes beyond them, as you said, that's just one way of express and languages also, you know, they vary, and yeah, I hear you, Mm.
1: I feel you (laughs) do.
0: yeah so i just want to be mindful of your time and one last question because i i sense that we could stay here for hours (laughs) plenty of stories to share but if i could gift you a permission sleep what would you give yourself permission to wow i don't know
1: i don't know if you would know well, in this day and age of Corona, just to meet with everybody that I love, including you, and and hug, I I miss I, I miss hugging I miss hugging babies so much. I don't have now babies of my own, but I've always been around babies, and and I miss it. And some of my elders, I wanna, you know, I wanna I wanna go and I wanna give them a massage. I mean, I'm realizing so many people now have not been touched even you know just their backs have not been touched in so long and just like yeah i think we as humans we have that even even cats even animals recognize that we are good with expressing love through touch so yeah
0: yes yes thank you for that yeah, it's something that in my case, I, it was like craving it, literally. So the last couple of months, I've been really mindful about after every shower, you know, it's just like really, while well, I'm putting my lotion or cream or oil, or it's just really giving me that touch because we can give that to ourselves.
1: I think it's teaching us that. I think we have abused even touch, human contact. We have abused that so much that life is like, okay, let's take it away from you. You know, like I tell my kids, you know, that the things that you get are are privileges. And so if you abuse them, I will take it away. You will need to consciously respect that which you are given in order to treat it right. And I think we've been treating wrong so many things that we are now. And I hope we get the message soon so we can go back to hugging. <laughs> I hear you. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Thank you so much, Yael, for being here today, for all that you shared with us. I really hope it gets and it serves to many, as many as possible, into to create the world that we really want to live in. Thank you.
1: It was a pleasure talking to you, Aurora. Shalom. shalom. Shalom,
0: Ciao for now, and meanwhile, you are invited to envision and take action. What can you do today to create the world that you want to live in?